0: Hello Grace Church family. Hey, it's Monday, uh, August the 17th. Yesterday at church we had a bit of a technical issue at the very beginning of my sermon, and so I'm going to give you a little brief introduction to the sermon. Uh, It cut off just the first part of it, and you will be able to see the rest of it, but I thought that it would be helpful if I read the scripture passage for you and then gave you a little bit of a a feel for what i said at the beginning of the sermon the part that got cut off because of the technical issue okay so grace church listen to god's word we are currently in a study of the life of david Uh, we're using first and second samuel and a little bit of first kings as well to study the life of david in the old testament So we're now about three weeks into our study, and today's passage is 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm just going to read the first uh, nine verses, and if you are going to follow along with your Bible, keep your Bible open, because in my sermon, which you will see uh, in just a little bit, you will... uh, you will see that we're going to skip around in the chapter, and you might want to have your Bible open to that, okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of God. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, and this is speaking about David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. As they were were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, and that's Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. I read recently about a woman in California by the name of Alexandra Albin, Alexandra Albin, she thought that she was developing MS, that is multiple sclerosis. She had a paralyzed bladder for a few months, then she started falling. She'd be walking along normally and all of a sudden she'd stumble and fall. Now, Alexandra Albin was only 31 years of age, so this was pretty weird for these things to start happening. Uh, She got an MRI but it didn't show or confirm multiple sclerosis. Her left leg started to have incredible pain. She started dropping things from her left hand. Um, The doctor prescribed massive doses of steroids, but it only got worse, and her knees began to swell up as well. At one point, the pain uh, was so bad, she had to be held down on the examining table. Doctors said they had never seen anything like This condition before. She was put in a wheelchair. She gained something like 20 pounds. She was spending $1,500 a month or so on medications. Well, finally, Alexandra went to an orthopedic surgeon who worked at the University of California at San Francisco. He was able to correctly diagnose the problem. It turns out that Alexandra had a condition called osteonecrosis. Not osteoporosis, you've heard of that, but osteonecrosis. Osteo means bones, necrosis, death. This was a condition that was literally causing her leg bones and her arm bones to die, to rot. Osteonecrosis. It's a rare disorder caused by an interruption of the blood supply to the bone In Alexandra's case, it was affecting her femur and her humerus. In fact, osteonecrosis usually affects the longer bones of the body. She had it in both hips. She had nearly 25 surgeries on her hips, her knees, her shoulder, her elbow, her wrist, and her fingers to try to save her joints. All the lower limb issues she was having were caused by this condition called osteonecrosis you know the bible tells us something else can cause death to the bones not literally but spiritually speaking envy envy have you ever read proverbs fourteen thirty? it says a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh but envy rots the bones osteonecrosis spiritual osteonecrosis envy rots the bones what is envy well according to Proverbs fourteen thirty, it's the opposite of a tranquil heart a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh but envy rots the bones so envy is the opposite of a heart at peace or a heart at rest it's the feeling of displeasure at the advantage or success or prosperity of another person Envy is the inability to rejoice in someone else's advancement or blessings. Now, we often use envy and jealousy interchangeably, as though they are the same thing, but actually they are different. Jealousy says, I wish I could have it. Envy says, I wish you didn't have it. You see the difference? Now this is where the sermon picks up, and so with that being said, with that bit of an introduction, turn your attention now to the rest of the sermon video. God bless you, see you later. Envy though says, hmm, John got a raise, I should have gotten a raise too. John isn't so great, I'll show him, I'll tell the boss about that time he came in late for a meeting, and then nobody will get a raise. Jealousy can be a natural or even a good thing. When you're jealous of someone, you suspect that he or she has what rightfully belongs to you. Example, if your spouse gives his or her heart to another person, you have every reason to be jealous. God is a jealous God. He's called that often in the Bible because we rightfully belong to him. And when we give our affections to an idol or to someone or something besides him, he is jealous for our love. But envy is never a good thing. It's irredeemable. Envy is destructive, both to the one who envies and the one who is often affected by it. See, the main person that envy destroys is the envier. That's why it's like osteonecrosis. It rots the bones. The Bible says that envy is a very serious sin. Jesus lists envy along with other things like murder, theft, adultery, and greed that defile a person. That's in Mark chapter seven. Perhaps you women have already found that in your Bible study of Mark. The apostle Paul lists envy along with murder, deceit, and gossip as signs of a depraved mind in Romans chapter one. Envy is one of the fruits of the sinful nature in Galatians five. Envy is what motivated Cain to kill Abel. It's what motivated the brothers to throw Joseph in the pit. And believe it or not, Matthew 27, 18 says that envy caused the Jews to hand Jesus over to the Romans. No one is immune from envy, nobody. It doesn't matter how successful you are, you can still envy someone else for their success. Doesn't matter how good looking you are, you can still envy someone else for their good looks. A couple of weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine told me about a fellow pastor whose church is growing like crazy. You know what I said to that friend of mine? I said, his theology is way off. He's probably manipulating people to get them in the door. Now let's assume that might be true, but I know what was going on in my own heart. I was envious of that pastor whose church is growing like crazy. It was in my heart that envy that caused me to say those things that diminished him in my friend's eyes. That's envy. And friends, that is ugly. That is ugly of my attitude. Yet, isn't it true that we don't pay much attention to the sin of envy because it's so easy to disguise behind a nice religious exterior? Envy is like cancer. You can have it and nobody knows. It rots the bones without anyone noticing. So today we're going to put on our orthopedic surgeon hat and get out our scalpels and do a little diagnosis on King Saul because he's kind of the main character of this passage today. He was a man who was literally consumed with envy and it was ruining him day by day. So I want to share with you three things about envy this morning. First, it's symptoms. Second, it's root problem. And third, it's cure. Symptoms, root problem, and cure. So let's jump in to talk about the symptoms of envy. I see at least five symptoms of envy in Saul in this chapter. Some of them are in the passage I read, and some of them are found elsewhere in the chapter. That's why I wanted you to have your Bible open as we go through this. Symptom number one, the need to be in control. The need to be in control. Look at verses one and two again. First two verses, it says, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, and this was after he killed Goliath. Remember last week, we saw in chapter 17 that David killed Goliath, the giant champion of the Philistines, cut his head off, and it actually says that he brought the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem with him. Can you imagine that? And the head shows up frequently throughout the book of 1 Samuel. (laughs) But uh, verse one, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And notice this, Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now let's think about that. On the surface, it appears that King Saul really appreciates David. After all, David had just killed Goliath, so Saul made David his armor bearer. Also, you could see this in chapter 16, David played the harp for Saul. You probably are familiar with that. The fact that David was a musician, and he was asked by Saul to play the harp whenever Saul was depressed or troubled. So these things soothed Saul's soul. It seems that he appreciates David in a way. But listen again to verse two. Saul did not let David return to his father's house. I think that's important. See, Saul sees David as a rival. He's envious of David's influence. And the best way Saul can make sure David doesn't become too popular is to keep him close and watch his every move. That's what I see going on with Saul here. So whenever you see a person who needs to be in control, that is who needs to display his or her power over other people, you're probably looking at somebody who struggles with envy, the need to control. Symptom number two is anger. It's in verses six and seven, anger. Verse six says that as they, that is the people, were coming home, When David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. David was celebrated, in other words, with a ticker tape parade. And the women of Israel loved David. He was the Ryan Gosling of the day, or if you prefer the George Clooney, or the Brad Pitt, or the Bradley Cooper, whoever you women kind of like to look at. And when Saul saw the women of Israel dancing in the streets and heard them singing David's praises, verse eight says that Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him, This. 10,000 versus 1,000 saying, in other words. It displeased him. So it galled him, says one translation. It made Saul furious. Saul saw saw, suddenly, that's easier to read than it is to say. (laughs) Saul saw suddenly how popular David had become and he thought to himself, he doesn't deserve this adoration. Why, I've been king of Israel for 35 or 40 years. This shepherd boy comes along and everybody just adores him. Those thankless, fickle people. You know, those are the thoughts that are going through Saul's mind. He was unable to be glad and grateful that God had raised up David for the defense of the kingdom. See, that's the truth of the matter. God had raised up David for such a time as this and Saul could not... glad about that because David posed a threat to Saul's own reputation and status. It made him furious. Anger is symptom number two. Number three, suspicion. Suspicion, verses eight and nine. At the end of verse eight, the Bible says that Saul said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And it says that Saul eyed David from that day on. Suspicion. Kind of reminds me of Richard Nixon during the Watergate fiasco. Those of you that were around back then, you remember Nixon's attitude? They're out to get me. You know, That's what motivated much of his behavior. They're out to get me. I know it. I have to protect myself. I have to find out what they're up to. And that's what Saul was experiencing right here. David just wants to bring me down. If I don't watch out, he's going to take the throne away from me. Suspicion gave birth to symptom number four, fear. Fear, look at verse 12. The very first part of that verse says that Saul was afraid of David. And skip down to verse 15. Verse 15 says that when Saul saw that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe of David. And finally, all the way down to the bottom of the chapter, verse 29, verse 29 says that Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. This is ironic because Saul was afraid of the very person that he forced to stay with him. Why did Saul fear David? Well, it's because he saw in David a power greater than his own. What Saul feared was not so much David as a person, but what he feared was a loss of his own validation. He was afraid he would recede into the shadows while David's fame just grew more and more. So fear, I don't like that, said Saul and that fear led to symptom number 5 the last of the five was revenge a spirit of revenge look with me at verse 10 and 11 verse 10 says the next day a harmful spirit <clears throat> a harmful spirit from god rushed upon Saul and he raved he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David evaded him not once, twice. See, envy culminates in the plotting of evil or the wishing of harm by the envier upon the one envied. You actually wish harm would come to this person that you envy. It's the fatal attraction Syndrome. The person you most wish you could be like is the one you want to bring down. The person you praise on the outside is the person you want to sabotage on the inside. Two times Saul tries to kill David with a spear, and it even happens a third time over in chapter 20. Three times trying to kill this man. Fortunately, God helps David get out of the way each time because he he's protecting David from Saul but Saul doesn't give up as the rest of chapter 18 shows Saul comes up with three other plans to try to get rid of David verse 17 Saul sends David out to fight the Philistines why why would he hope that David goes out to battle the Philistines what's he hoping would happen hoping he'll be killed yeah He hopes that David will be killed in battle. A second thing he tries is that he offers his daughters in marriage to David. Now that that shows you what a low view of his own daughters Saul had, right? If I can't deal with him, I'll let my daughters have him and surely he'll uh, go away, you know, that kind of thing. First, he gives his daughter, tries to give his daughter Merab, his older daughter to David, but someone else claims her first. And in verse 21, he decides to give his younger daughter, Michael, to David in marriage. And he says in that verse, I'll give Michael to him so she may be a snare to him. In other words, I'll let Michael make David's life miserable. (laughs) That's second. Thirdly, in verse 25, in order to get Michael for a wife, You know what David has to do? He has to go out and kill a 100 Philistines and bring him their foreskins. Again, David is hoping that, or Saul is hoping that David would die in battle, but did that work? No, it backfired because David, what does he do? He goes out and kills 200 Philistines. (laughs) The Bible has these amazing stories in it, right? So you see then that what makes envy so bad is like I said earlier, you want to see someone else get hurt. You don't just want what they have. You don't want them to have it. You say things like, I hope that new house of theirs ends up being a money pit. Or you say, look how skinny she is. I hope her boyfriend dumps her. Or you say, maybe he'll lose his job. Then he'll find out how hard my life has been. Ever have thoughts like that? Just momentarily going through your head? Come on, I have. I suspect you have too. For the rest of his life, King Saul was driven by envy of David. Saul's enemy, Saul's enemy wasn't David. Who was Saul's enemy? Well, it was himself. Saul's enemy was himself. When he dies at the end of this book, as we will see later in our study, Saul dies of envy as much as anything else. It rotted away the bones of his spiritual life. Now do you see why envy rots the bones? Control, anger, suspicion, fear, revenge. These are the symptoms of the silent killer known as envy. Alright, let's move on. We've seen these symptoms. What about the root problem? Um, What's the sin beneath the sin? You ever heard that phrase, the sin beneath the sin? It's always so important to ask, what is the sin behind this sin that I'm committing? Because every sin that we see actually springs from a deeper sin that we might not see, and that's down in the heart. The Bible calls the heart the seat of our emotions, will, mind, everything else. The heart is where sin originates. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7 that out of the heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So see, friends, when your heart is divided that is when you have something in your life competing for the affection and attention that only God should have, that's when envy germinates and takes root in your life and springs up and then you see its destructive effects. The sin beneath the sin of envy is idolatry idolatry. When you envy someone, that's actually a signal that there is something you love and serve, something you rely on and worship and look to for your validation more than God. When you are worshiping an idol, God is no longer in the center of your affections or at the core of your identity. It might be, for example, the idol of success or popularity, or money, or having lots of Facebook friends, or getting engaged. Your idol might be having a great marriage, or well-behaved children, or a new career, or the respect of your neighbors, or a ministry that's really making a big impact on other people. Any of those things and many more can become your idols. Whatever it is, though, you must have it or you feel devastated. We see that in Saul, don't we? Look at verse 12. Such a key verse there. Verse 12 says that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Notice that the Lord had departed from Saul. Why? Why had God left Saul? Well, it's because Saul had left God. That's why. Saul had left God. You can read all about that in First Samuel 13 through 15. Sometime, I think, it'd do you well to go back and read some of the prelude to this chapter to see what Saul had done and thought and believed that caused him to depart from God. But basically, in a nutshell, Saul had simply traded God for an idol, Saul's idol was his own reputation. He worshipped at the altar of self-promotion. We might say these days that Saul was the classic narcissist. Uh, Dick's son, Chuck, he is a friend of mine, just wrote a book about narcissism. I don't know if he mentioned Saul in that book, but he certainly could have. Saul was a classic narcissist. Being successful was really what, God's, what got Saul through the day. When it came down to it, that's what Saul relied on. It was his God, little g. You know, Saul could, listen, Saul could have taken the people's praise of David as a compliment to his own leadership. Think about what I mean. He could have said, wow, these people see that I'm a good manager. I surround myself with good people. I recognize talent and I empower them. He could have applauded David right along with the people. But there's no way Saul could have done that. He didn't see it that way because he took David's popularity as a threat to his own idol of success. And here we're getting to the heart of what idolatry really is. Saul had taken a good thing, namely being a successful king. That's a good thing, right? We would hope the same for our presidents to be successful, to be effective. That's a good goal. But Saul had taken that good goal and turned it into the main thing of his life. And when that main thing was threatened, Saul was devastated. That's how you know you have an idol in your life. You're devastated when you lose it. Take the idol of children, for example. If you love your child, you want what's best for her. But if you idolize your child, you'll fall apart if she lets you down. If you enjoy your job, you want to succeed. It's a good thing. But if you idolize your job, you'll be destroyed if you don't. If you like making good grades, kids, you'll work hard to perform well. But if you idolize good grades, you feel like an utter failure when you don't. An idol is a good thing, treated as though it were the main or the only thing in your life. And that's the root problem of envy. So we've seen the symptoms and the root problem. What's the cure? Well, the cure is in verses 1 through 4. And this might surprise you because it doesn't just jump out at you. The cure for envy is in verses 1 through 4 because this is where we read about Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, I didn't mention much about him earlier, so that's what I want us to look at. Saul's son, Jonathan. It says in verse 1 that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. Verse 3, Jonathan made a, what, covenant covenant. With David And verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David along with his armor, even his sword and his belt. Now here's what I want you to... Huh? Sorry? First Samuel 18, yeah. Now think about this. Jonathan had more reason to be envious of David than Saul did. I'll say that again jonathan had more reason to be envious than saul did why because jonathan was next in line to be king of israel if anyone might have felt threatened by david it would have been jonathan but notice no envy only love how's that possible jonathan even stripped himself of his symbols of power That's what the robe, the royal robe symbolized, his sword, his bow, and it says that he made a covenant with David. Literally, in the Hebrew language, he cut a covenant with David. See, back in the Old Testament era, when someone wanted to make a covenant with someone else, typically he or she would take an animal and kill it and let the blood drain out and be visible and the person making the covenant would say, "If I break my covenant vow with you, you can kill me just like I'd kill that animal." It's possible that that's what Saul and John, uh, David and Jonathan did just then. They cut a covenant. Jonathan cut a covenant with David. Why? It's because Jonathan had faith in God's promise. Jonathan trusted in God's plan that David was to be the anointed king of Israel. And by that faith, Jonathan found security in God. Not in success, not in being the next king, but security in God and God's love for him. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he knew that God had made a covenant with Jonathan. He trusted in something besides his own advancement his own success his own power he trusted in the Lord and his love for him in the same way when you believe how loved you are by the Lord you can love others you can celebrate when they are celebrated you can give yourself away when you know how much you have been given you see how that works so How is it with you today? How is it with you today? Is envy rotting your bones? Maybe you feel a little bit like Saul today, overlooked. Maybe you feel a little bit like you don't matter. You feel unloved. That's entirely possible. We live in such an unloving, mean, cruel world. It's easy to feel like Saul. It's easy to see the success of others and think it's passed you by. To think you've been put out to pasture. To think no one notices what you do. Do you feel that way? If so, you're tempted to become a control freak. To become angry, suspicious of others' motives, fearful, and even vengeful toward other people. Friend, I want to assure you that Jesus, the anointed king, has cut a covenant with you. And he didn't cut an animal. He allowed himself to be cut on the cross and shed his own blood so that you can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. He stripped himself of the symbols of power. He hung naked on a cross with a mocking crown of thorns on his head to bring you joy and eternal life. He loved you then on the cross. He loves you now, and he will never stop loving you. So rest in his love like Jonathan rested in the love of God. Rely on the love of God. His love for you is the one that really matters, and it will never let you go. Let's pray. God, uh, forgive me, forgive us for seeking life in things that don't matter, things that don't last. Forgive our envy. Father, we realize today that that envy is just a symptom of an even deeper problem which grieves you terribly, our idolatry, our worship of things other than you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our petty self-protection, our strategies to push other people down in order to build ourselves up. Jesus, thank you for cutting a covenant with us. And we now, by faith, receive your love. We believe you're the, the anointed king. We believe you're the one who loves us with an everlasting love. So Holy Spirit, we pray you'll help us to never seek life or joy or validation in anything but that. And we now bring our idols and lay them at your feet. And we proclaim Jesus is Lord. And we worship you and adore you and thank you for your love for us that never gives up never stops. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning into Grace Church's Sermon. We truly hope that the sermon edified you today and brought you closer to the Lord. For more information on Grace Church, visit us at gracearp.org. That's gracearp.org. If you'd like to visit us, our address is 1111 Tuscawillow Road, Winter Springs, Florida 32708. Again, that's 1111 Tuscawilla Road, Winter Springs, Florida 32708. We now pray that God will bless you as you go forward to bring his word to the world. And as always, we will see you next time here at Grace.